First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Someone who has been studying this and issues like this for a long time is Marshall Masters. He is a former CNN Science Features news producer. He is a freelance writer, television analyst, and he is a the publisher of a very interesting website called YOWUSA.com. Marshall, thanks for staying up late with us. It's my pleasure. Uh, Marshall, uh, educate folks. What is YOWUSA.com? What sort of stories do you generally cover on there? It stands for Your Own World USA, and we specialize in stories about space threats and earth changes, and we have a very strong focus on Planet X. Well, I want to ask you about that in a minute because I've read some of what you've written on that, and it's quite interesting. But what do we know at this point about this underwater volcano in Tonga? Uh, how severe is it, and what's the story? Give us the, the sort of Jack Webb style, just the facts. Well, what we're finding with this is, first off, if you can see the video illustrations uh, from space where you see the shock wave how it propagates out, is stunning. This is quite an event. I think what really caught my eye about this was that there was no quake activity reported prior to this. It just came out of nowhere. Boom. And there's been a lot of damage. Uh, you know, I, was, it was, I found it interesting that as far away as Santa Cruz, California, uh, they were having flooding problems at the docks and things like that. So this is a significant event, but it's also another anomalous event like what happened with La Palma. We had that longest eruption in the history of La Palma, and a lot of people were concerned that would, there would be a block slide event where it would send a wall of water towards the east coast of the Americas. Uh, so... We're seeing this as part of a much larger overall trend. Now, um, you mentioned that there was no there was no seismic activity indicative of an earthquake prior to the eruption. Uh, if folks are, you know, not necessarily up on their seismology, that would be atypical. Usually you do get an indication of seismic activity or earthquake activity prior to an eruption of this magnitude. Yeah, you would have something like that. It would uh, a good example is I believe what was it 2020 uh Hawaii and it went through uh, oh my gosh, a huge number of microquakes, small ones, ones and twos, uh but during that period uh, that was probably one of the lar that was the highest month in all of recorded history. So you have these events, but it is unusual for something like this to just boom, something of magnitude. There should have been some indicator, something, something somewhere along the way. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Tonga has really captured so much attention. That and the fact that 
it's really affected so many world areas. Sure. Now, if folks were geographically challenged like I am, where exactly is Tonga? What's it near? Well, Tonga's in the South Pacific. All right. And so if you are looking, this is out in the area east of um, Australia. And... All right, so it's near near Australia. Yeah, what I'm going to do is just you know get it a little closer here for you. All right, well, as you uh, as you are working on that, let me ask you about this. I have gotten quite a few uh, emails over the course of the last few days suggesting that maybe this volcanic eruption was something other than an underwater volcano. Some people even suggesting that there was a, a possibility that this was actually a missile attack. Do you see any possibility that that could have been the case? Well, actually, yeah, you could. There's something called Rods of God. And uh, one of the things that they found is that uh, all of the treaties that we have about nuclear weapons in space do not prohibit kinetic weapons. And so the U.S. uh, Air Force developed a concept called Rods of God, which are basically titanium telephone poles. Uh, You know, they're about a foot in diameter, and they are made of solid titanium. And uh, this is almost nearly as heavy as gold, um, And but it's very hard. And so if you have this kind of very simple low-tech weapon, it's a kinetic energy weapon. And these things can be launched and impact with the same force as an atomic bomb. They can release a lot of energy, but also they could do this, you know, there, there's a, been a lot of theories, especially like about 311 and what happened in Japan, that it was triggered by uh, subsea nuclear detonations. And that is a part of our reality now. We have to look at that. Why would anyone want to attack Tonga, though? I mean, they strike me as they they seem anyway like a pretty harmless country. Well, yeah, I mean, they are, as I said, they're east of Australia and north, north by north um, east of New Zealand. And who would want to strike it? I don't know. You know, but we're dealing with abnormal times in terms of natural events. There is the ability for dark forces to use other things. If they're doing something like Tonga, maybe it's because it would be a test site or maybe it's just nature. There's a lot of maybes. Uh, now, you would, you mentioned another similar anomalous geological event. I think it was La Palma. Are we seeing an uptick in, let's say it's not a uh, missile attack or some sort of an explosive, are we seeing an uptick in unusual geological events like this? We're seeing an uptick, 
And the thing that's difficult for us, on our site, we have our article, Sign 60, Expect a Deep Impact event in 2022. And we go in, we've been following the USGS reporting on earthquakes of all magnitudes. I mean, we take them from, you know, the itty-bitty ones to the biggest that they, they're tracking. And we caught, it was June of last year, we actually found, because our database goes back five years and we've been tracking against theirs, that they started changing the numbers historically. And we went through and we did a cross-reference all the way back to 2008, and we found a huge amount of jiggering, particularly in the lead-up to 2012, um, with earthquakes <clears throat> The USGS was reporting um, generally about in the range of 20,000 earthquakes, total earthquakes per year. Well, it was more like about 1,200 or 100,000. Wow. That was the actual, and I'm talking about in the years 2008 to 2012, and so there's a graph on the site, and it shows we caught USGS jiggering the data. And what they did was they intentionally suppressed earthquake activity that was prior to 2012, which, you know, obviously, which was to make people think that there was nothing there, move along, it's a hoax. Um, the thing about December 2012 was that it was a harbinger event. It was a celestial alignment. And they were saying their message from the Mayans was, here, this is your harbinger event. This is something that's easy to distinguish, and it just is benign. It tells you you're on the path of a major event. And we didn't get that reading. If we had been able to see what was happening with the actual quake activity, fewer people right now would be thinking that December 2012, you know, December 21, 2012, the Mayan calendar thing was a hoax. Well, it wasn't a hoax. They were right. Um, and we caught USGS. And then the problem with the reporting that we're getting out of USGS right now, because they're skewing it again. This was mostly uh, a lot of the stuff that we saw with the jiggering occurred principally during the Obama administration. And it was in the Trump administration that they were quietly trying to backfill and correct the database and bring it back to what was actually reported. Uh, however, I, it looks to us, they're, you know, old tricks are the best tricks, and they're reporting for December of 2021. Just, we looked at it, and it just didn't make sense. I mean, they're, they're reporting for the month a total of 8,835 earthquakes of all magnitude around the world. Well, to find the next lowest reading, you got to go all the way back to 2011. Wow. Which wow. is 8,277. Now, to put this in perspective, let me just talk about 
2018, 2019, and 2020. 2018 was 16,515,559. 2020 was 14,527,000. Now, when you use the term deep impact, are you talking about something on a level of uh, cataclysmic destruction, sort of like we see in that film? Yes, it's not necessarily an extinction-level event. Um, you know, there was an impact that was not an extinction-level event in that film. But it's a deep impact event. I mean, this is something that is going to cause loss of life on a large scale. Um so what are you basing that on? Just the uptick in anomalous geological activity? No, what we're doing is we are tracking fireballs. Uh, this goes back to nemesis theory, and which I first heard of actually when I was uh, in the late 60s when I was in high school. And uh, about nemesis, that we are in a binary star system and it's the sun smaller twin is a brown dwarf star. And we have been tracking this for years, and um, the the way that we're tracking what's happening, how it's moving in towards us, is we track fireballs. Now, these are not shooting stars, which are really nice to look at. We don't focus on that. We're looking for fireballs, the big smokers that cross the sky. And then the bigger ones are the bolides, and uh, a bolide, you'll detonate and have a flash, and a super bolide, you'll have a concussion wave as well. A uh, good example of a super bolide was back in 2013 in Chelyabinsk, Russia. And so we've been tracking the fireballs because the nemesis system has its own cloud much like the Oort cloud that surrounds our solar system. And we're starting to fly through it. And 
what we're seeing in the fireball data is rocks are coming our way because of it. Um, what I can tell you is that with when we look at monthly fireballs, uh, we just have been this year we've been setting records uh, most of the months, highest in recorded history. But to give you an idea, back in 2011, there were about 1,800 fireballs sighted globally. Uh, and in 2021, that was about um, 9,500. So, and if you can, on the site, you'll see a graph that takes you all the way from 2020, 2011 to 2021. And what you see is year after year, it sets new records. And then what we did is we have several subsets. We've been tracking this with our sign series, which is uh, our 60th installment, and we publish them once a month. And so we have amassed a very considerable research database. That was how we were able to catch the USGS jiggering the numbers. Um, and they are we believe they're jiggering the numbers. We think they're starting to skew it again like they did back in the lead-up to 2012. But with the fireball totals, there is one subset that we have been tracking in particular. Uh, the lead researcher on our team, J.P. Jones, uh, about three years ago, he created a hypothesis for the nemesis cloud, nemesis being a brown dwarf star in orbit around our star, and it is a constellation. It has its own satellites uh, comprised of planets, moons, and so forth. And we, you know, we have been, and when you look at a chart, uh, it's the same thing as the earthquakes. You know, you draw a line at 2012, and then after that, it just keeps skyrocketing upwards. It kind of reminds you, you know, Wiley E. Coyote and on an Acme rocket. And the thing of it is, is the coyote just keeps going up year after year. But the one subset we've been tracking are, we call them, huge fireball events. Now, they're different subsets. Uh, you have, like, multi-states. So you have a big smoker that's big enough that people in one state can see it and another state can see it. Or even it crosses an international boundary, like from over U.S. and into Canada. Well, when we use the term, when you use the term fireball, Marshall, what are we talking about? That could be a uh, that could be a volcano. That could be an earthquake. Hello. Uh, well, sorry, I get. I guess we we lost you. We're going to try and reconnect with uh, Marshall Masters. Uh, you could check out his website, yowusa.com. Uh, he's a former CNN features news producer. He's been a freelance writer and a television analyst for a long time, uh, analyzing all sorts of things with respect to space and uh, all sorts of uh, in interesting incidents related to geologic activity. And it is uh, it is interesting that uh, we seem to have. Been been experiencing a sudden loss 
of telephonic activity. If you're just tuning in, uh, Marshall is saying that this, uh, this, this volcanic eruption underwater in Tonga or near Tonga, one, it could have been something else other than a volcano, and two, if even assuming it was of a volcano, it was it didn't have the same sort of seismic precursor to an event of this magnitude that we generally see. And Marshall has said his research suggests that we could see a deep impact style event that would lead to cataclysmic destruction in terms of loss of life for uh, this year. So uh, it is not exactly a an uplifting piece, but you can go to the website yowusa.com to check it out if you want to. Uh, we're going to try and reconnect with him. Uh, but in the meantime, I am uh, reading through some of your emails here, and uh, evidently a couple of people have written to me that what Big Julie was saying earlier about drive-by mobile gun scanning technology, that does exist. And the NYPD has indeed tested it. So perhaps that is something, along with ShotSpotter, that we could see the police make broader use, um, you know, a broader use of in the future. So we'll see. Uh, 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we're covering. That's 800-848-9222. I think we have Marshall back. Marshall, that was uh, awfully bizarre and will only feed into my conspiratorial bent. But um, if you can, what I was saying was if you could just redefine the term fireballs as you use it. Okay, we use the term fireballs. These are what we're tracking are space threats. So we're looking at rocks falling on the planet from space. All right. And, and Go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, a fireball is, you know, you have shooting stars. Those are fun to look at. We don't bother with the shooting stars. The fireballs are the big smokers you see up in the sky. They leave the trail of smoke. So I would call them smokers. And uh, then there's fireballs. And then the next step up are bolides. Bolides will detonate with the flash. And then super bolides will also generate a shockwave. And how bad do you see this getting? You said that uh, this deep impact event, which you're predicting for this year, could it's unlikely to be an, an event level extinction event, but it's going to be bad. How bad are we talking? This is going to be a this is not going to be an event where it wipes out entire nations. I doubt that. But we're going to have something when it hits, it's going to hit hard enough if it's, you know, 70% of the globe is water. So you're going to have a tsunami. If you're going to have a land impact, there's really not much of a difference. Um, But you don't have the tsunami, although you're going to have the ejecta, you're going to have falling hot rocks, if you will. And, uh, those would be the if you wanted to call them earthquake fireballs, and uh, they would happen. But this is going to be a, a deep impact event, something that will drive down to the seabed, and it is going to probably create enough of a tsunami to take out a shoreline, maybe go back as far as uh, 
two or three miles. Do you see any reason at this point that the public should be optimistic about the planet's future? Frankly, no. Hmm. Uh, we're going through a period where this is this object, this second sun that we've been tracking. This is what we're tracking with our website, and we've been doing this since 1999. Um, this thing is already in the northern skies. Uh, as a matter of fact, Nemesis, that's the name of this uh, star, brown dwarf star. And it crossed into the northern skies. There's the ecliptic. And so imagine you start with a dot in the center of the sun and expand that out to the 12 constellations of the zodiac. That's the ecliptic. That's the plane of our system. Another way you could think of it is the sun's equator, if you wish. And as long as Nemesis is in the southern skies, where it spends most of its 3,600 lunar years, it's not a problem. It's when it comes above into the northern skies that we have a problem. And we've been tracking it. Um, The first time I saw one of the planets in that system was in December of 2012, and which, again, you know, consistent with the harbinger of the Mayans. And we, at the time, we called it Blue Bonnet, and we were observing it through an excellent camera on top of a volcano, Turrialba Volcano in Costa Rica. And it was a phenomenal thing. We were able to track this object, objects that are near and behind the sun, you can only see them really close to sunrise or really close to sunset. And this was popping up for a few minutes every day at uh, just before sunset. And this was initially reported to me by an expat who was living on the flanks of the volcano. And they'd been watching it because they were tracking this camera just to see, you know, if it's time to start, you know, run like crazy. And... <clears throat> I saw it myself uh, for the first time. I tried a few times, and then it was the day after Christmas in December 2012 that I saw uh, Nibiru, which is the outermost major planet of this nemesis constellation. And at the time, I named it Blue Bonnet because of the color. Uh, But since then, I've been tracking it, and in the field of Planet X research, Many people consider me a tent post when it comes to image analysis. I've done so much of it over the years. I, I guess the, the, we've been tracking it. The, the thing that a lot of listeners are going to have a tough time wrapping their head around is how could uh, Mayan prophecies from thousands of years ago have, be, have predicted geologic activity in the year 2012 or the year 2022? How does that happen? How does that work? What do you attribute that to? Well, what they're saying is that you're going to have a flyby event. The flyby event of this, you have a massive object. I mean, a brown dwarf is a couple of times the size of Jupiter. And this is a large object with its own planets and moons. It's coming through the system. It's going to create all kinds of problems. First thing, it's dragging its own rocks with it. 
And what it's not dragging with it, it's coming through the core of our system like the mother of all cue balls. And it's knocking stuff that is in benign orbits into Earth-crossing orbits. And that is a concern as well. And for us, we're tracking it. Uh, it was uh, Nemesis, actually. There was an image. It was leaked out. That was a white hat at NASA. And when I saw it, I immediately go, you know, no, this is not the kind of information the government is going to release. And But it was an image from SOHO that showed Nemesis had just completed its transition, transit, excuse me, across the ecliptic and into the northern skies. And that happened on July 4th of last year. Uh, Marshall, I, I have to run, but uh, very quickly, I have to get you to explain, since you're something of an expert in this subject, what exactly is Planet X? When people use that term, Planet X, what does that mean? Planet X is a term that was coined by astronomer Percival Lowell in about 1905. And it describes, when you're thinking Planet X, it's not Planet Ken. It is Planet X means is that you know that there's this object, this large planet out there, not by because that you can observe it, but rather you are observing its perturbations in the orbits of other large objects out there. This was this started this search for Planet X actually started with the discovery of Uranus, first planet discovered with a telescope, and they started seeing that Uranus had a perturbation in its orbit. They calculated that and were able to literally, and this was in the days before computers, they did the math and sent it off to an observatory in Germany, and they just swung the scope around, and boom, they found Neptune. Then they found Neptune. Neptune had a perturbation in its orbit, and so the European astronomers started looking for that. And this is when Lowell stepped in. Lowell was a wealthy Bostonian, so he wasn't having to cater to anyone. And he formed the Lowell Observatory specifically to start the search for Neptune's perturber here in the United States. And he was looking at what's causing Neptune's orbit to be perturbed, because this was observed. And that inevitably led to the 1930 discovery of Pluto by Clyde Tombaugh. But they later found out that Pluto is only about 60% the, mass, the size of our own moon, so it didn't have the mass to be the perturber. And the search kept going on. In 1940, Carlos Nunez Ferrada. I I, I have to end it there. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I want to encourage everybody to check out your website where you've done some uh, terrific work on this, YOWUSA.com. Marshall, I'll look forward to our next conversation where we can uh, uh, continue the conversation a bit more. Absolutely. You're on top of it. I'm trying. Thank you. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial. LLC member SIPC.